Welcome back to Just Go Grind, a show all about building and investing in companies, featuring interviews with startup founders, investors, and operators, sharing the best insights into the world of entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Justin Gordon, and in this episode, we have Marlon Nichols, co-founder and managing partner of Mac Venture Capital. In this episode, we get into a wide variety of topics, including how Mac invests, how they identify emerging behavioral and cultural trends, how M Ventures and Cross Culture came together to merge into Mac Venture Capital, how Marlon got into venture capital in the first place, the process of fundraising for their first fund, what institutional LPs are looking for in terms of investing into funds, knowing when to be innovative and when to stick to what is proven to work, different startup ecosystems that Marlon has seen and involved during his time in venture capital. And we get into some of the portfolio companies that he's had, including his investments in Gimlet Media and Zero Grocery, how Marlon manages his time, the growing industries of exchanges, trading platforms, and fractional ownership, and what's next for Marlon and Mac Venture Capital. As always, the show notes are at justgogrind.com slash podcast, and you can support the show, leaving a rating and review over in Apple Podcasts. Today's episode is brought to you by Various Search boutique legal recruiting firm that uses a bespoke approach to fill legal department roles from general counsel to paralegal. They have a particular focus on startups and growing tech companies. This focus allows them to provide individualized in-depth attention to both their clients and their searches. They focus solely on placing in-house candidates, which allows them to give their clients a bespoke experience in filling their legal needs. Their matchmaking approach ensures that clients are paired with candidates who not only have great credentials, but who are also a good cultural fit for a growing company. You can learn more about Various Search at VariousSearch.com. That's V-A-R-I-A Search.com. Again, VariousSearch.com. Without further ado, here is Marlon Nichols, co-founder and managing partner of Mac Venture Capital. Marlon, welcome to the show. What's up? Glad to be here. Yeah, I appreciate you taking the time and with your experience in venture, it's uh, it's going to be a fun conversation with all different things we can we can talk about. Where I think is is good to begin with is just for people who aren't familiar with with Mac Venture Capital. Where are you guys investing in today? What's your check size? Curious about that. Yes, we're we're a seed stage venture fund, um, and for that for us that means you know we invest in products and companies that have uh, you know built products and are starting to get some feedback from the marketplace. Um, you know, our max check sizes range from 1.5 million to about 2 million. And we, we aim for about 10% ownership in the rounds that, that, you know, the first round of funding that where we participate. Um, we tend to lead the majority of our deals. Um, you know, the, you know, the, I guess the, the second tier would be co-leading and then, um, there are a few where we, um, we're just happy participants. What are your thoughts around leading, leading deals? Why do you choose to lead most of the deals you do? Well, you know, our it, it, it ties to our thesis, right? Um, we try to identify emerging behavioral and, and culture trends, um, you know, again, as they're emerging. And so just given that, we tend to be pretty, pretty early in terms of identifying, you know, what the next hot thing is going to be or the, um, you know, the next uh, needed piece of technology for, you know, enterprises is going to be and, and invest there before others um, catch up. So, you know, given that um, we're, we're going to be leading a, a lot of times. And then also just the, the size of our check at the seed stage, it puts us in a position to, um, <clears throat> to help set the terms and, um, you know, and, and work with the entrepreneurs in a favorable fashion. 
with that as well, and from my research and listening to a podcast or two of yours and the things you've you've put out in the, into the world, I know you mentioned more around that with the cultural shifts, changes, things you're paying attention to. How do you do that? Just in terms of how are you paying attention to different things and are there areas you, you target then specifically because you're seeing something or how do you go about that? Yeah, it's it's about our, our backgrounds and our networks, right? Um, we have a, a pretty extensive network and, you know, folks that are, that have their their fingers on the pulse of pop culture right from you know um movie stars to uh to movie makers to um musicians and 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 producers that are traveling the world and are seeing a ton of things to relationships with some of the top advertising um global um top global advertising agencies etc and you know we talk to these friends um to learn as much as we can about you know what's happening in the world what's new and then um once we start to hear something you know um a few times over we then start to do some research around it so it's almost like anthropology (laughs) um you know is this thing is this thing real right where else in the world are we seeing this um you know this trend uh emerging and and then from there it's you know well where there's some white spaces, right? So where could you apply technology um, or, you know, leverage a new process or, or product and, um, and really capitalize on, <clears throat> on this shift that's emerging? And so that, that's essentially, um, you know, what we do. It, it sounds simple, but it's, it's actually a lot of, a lot of work. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's a lot that goes in, a lot of layers within that and talking to different people and doing the homework on that with you guys at Mac Venture Capital as well then. So it's it's a combination of M Ventures and, and cross culture. How is that decision making? How has that evolved or what does that look like for you guys? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, we are, we're one venture firm, right? So the, the way we came together is, um, you know, I was running cross culture and then um, Adrian and Mike and, and Charles were uh, leading M Ventures and we were doing quite a bit of co-investing together and, you know, have known each other personally um, for many years. And so as, as we we're both thinking about, we're both groups, we're thinking about, um, you know, creating a, a larger investment um, fund and, and vehicle um, and something that would, you know, um, would become a franchise. It just made sense for us to think about partnering. Uh, and so, and so that's exactly what we did. Um, we made the decision to partner. Um, and so we're just, we're one team and just like any other venture firm, we make, um, our investment decisions together. With that as well, during that time, I mean, it's not something that's been done all that often in terms of venture funds merging. Well, what were the, the challenges with that or what, I mean, I'm curious as to how that process went for you when you were doing that and. And even starting to think through that and just to just click like, oh yeah, this makes so much sense. I would love to hear more about that. Yeah. So, I mean, we spent half a year essentially before we um, like made the final decision to, you know, to, to make it a legal entity and, and actually start fundraising for it. And the, the purpose of that, that um, half a year was to work through, work through the kinks, right? So we wanted yeah. to, um, you know, source deals together, evaluate those deals together, um, you know, learn each other's like quirks and, um, and habits, um, likes and dislikes, um, you know, pet peeves, all those, all those things. 
And you, you can't actually do that until you're, until you're actively working together. And, yeah. um, but also we didn't want to take the step of, um, you know, of creating a fund and putting it out there that we were now one, one entity, um, before actually, you know, 100% knowing like, can this work? Can this be a, a multi, um, fund multi-decade, um, you know, relationship. And so we just, we just took the time and, and put it in practice. Right. So, um, ex- call it experiential learning. <laughs> Right. Um, yeah. We just, we just went through it. Um, yeah. With, with there being so many, so many funds now, especially, and there's always more and more, it seems like, do you think more funds are going to do, going to do what you guys did with, with Mac Venture Capital? I don't know. I, you know, I, I can't really speak for other funds and, you know, what their ethos is. And, um, you, you know, a lot of things have to, have to align in order to do that. Right. Like your, your investment philosophy has to has to link up. Um, you have to see the world in, in a similar way. Your um, your 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 core competencies or skill set um, have to be complementary. Your networks have to be have to be complementary and additive. Um, you know your vision for uh, for what you want to build and how you want to build it have, has to align. You know, the sectors that, that you want to invest in and get excited about investing um, have to align. Um, like there's there's so many things <laughs> that, that have to match up in order for that to work that, you know, yeah, sure. Other firms could, could do it. But, you know, just because, you know, you, you say that you want to make it happen doesn't mean it's going to work. Um, it's, it's actually pretty complicated. You know, they say, you know, um, venture partnerships are like marriages, right? And sometimes they last longer than marriages. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's not an easy uh, decision um, to, to make, and it's not a, um, an easy thing to implement. So um, I don't know how, many, how much more of this you'll, you'll see. And, um, and further, I don't know if other folks do it, if it'll, if it'll work, right? It's just the perfect thing for us. Yeah, to that point, like you said, the perfect thing for you. It it's, seems to have been working out very, very well for you. And and taking taking a step back from that, so getting into venture in, in the first place. Like, let's talk about that. So, how did you get into venture in, in the first place, Marlon? Yeah, so I am now, I think, twenty one years, twenty two years into my career um, in tech and investing, and um, I, you can split it into into um, halves. So the first, call it ten years, where um, I was an operator, um, helped you know take a, a seed stage company into the UK and Europe, and uh, and sold it to SAP, and and then the the kind of the, the second half of the first ten years spent as a consultant, first doing post M and A integration work for the the Blackstone Group primarily, uh, and then strategy consulting for media and entertainment. Um, organizations like Warner Music and McGraw-Hill and, and, and beyond. Um, and, you know, from the from the first half of my career, I, you know, there are things I, I learned about myself. Um, you know, one, I didn't want to sit inside of one company for, you know, years. Um, I did that. And, and, and while I was effective, um, uh, you know, at it, 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 it wasn't the thing that was going to, to drive me. Um, yeah. I needed more variety. Um, 
also, I knew that I love I love cutting edge technology and, and seeing new things like on the day on a daily basis. Um, I I really enjoy being around very smart people that are you know out of the box thinkers and uh, and and open to taking risk and and really trying to you know flip things on their on their head and and create net new things um, and. I also love being a part of, um, you know, strategic and uh, operational um, conversations, um, but didn't necessarily want to operate uh, a company. <laughs> and so all those things, you know, combined, it just it, it just um, pointed to venture capital. And so, you know, I went on a, on this journey of um, getting into the venture capital industry, which started with going back to business school. Um, at, at Cornell and, um, you know, leading the school's pre-seed venture fund for a year and a half of the, of the two years that I was there as its CEO, and then joining Intel Capital, um, where I ultimately became an investment director, spent five years, you know, learning the, the, the business of venture capital. Um, during that time, also became a Kaufman Fellow. And went through and went through that fellowship and learned a lot and built some really amazing relationships and and just like expanded my um, um you know my vision for what I wanted to to build and how I wanted to participate in in the VC industry um, and that led to you know the creation of our first fund that I co-founded with Troy Carter um, Cross Culture. And then ultimately now the um, kind of the, the second installment of that, which is Mac Venture Capital. How did that first fundraising go for that first fund? How was that experience? I mean, all fundraising is difficult. Yeah. <laughs> unless, you are, <laughs> unless you are Sequoia, right? Um, <laughs> right. But, uh, you know, it's, it, yeah, it, it, um, we learned a lot. I'll, I'll say that. It was our first, our first go at it. You know, we didn't have a lot of the LP relationships um, that we, you know, that we now have. You have to build them up over time. Yeah. Um, you know, we didn't know up from down, right? So, <laughs> what's the protocol, right? What do, yeah. what do these um, institutional investors, uh, you know, need to see, you know, in order to get excited about what you're building and, and to back you? And so it was, it was a lot of learning the, the, the first time around, um, and it took a while, right? Um, it's about a year and a half to two, maybe about a year and a half for us to, to raise that fund. Yeah, so it was, it was difficult and a lot of learning. From that, you mentioned like talking, learning more about LPs, meeting more LPs, figuring out what, you know, them, what they wanted. What were some of those things you were hearing at that time in terms of what they were looking for or, or where you thought at that time that you had an angle that you could then pitch to them? To actually get you know to raise your first fund, yeah, you can boil it down to a few things. Um, one, they wanted to know that your partnership was sound, um, that your you know your team was going to stick together and work well together, you know, for a number of funds. Uh, most institutional LPs are committing to this fund with the intention of committing to your your um, next two or three funds. So they want to know that this is going to going to work. And the thing that I've learned that they fear the most is the you know, it, dissolving a partnership, right? It not <laughs> and then, you know, figuring out, you know, okay, well, what do we do with all these assets now that this team is no longer together? 
or uh, you know someone someone leaves and you know can can the you know the team that's that's left behind you know can they produce you know the the returns and the things that that we need them to produce that's that's, that's their biggest fear um, and the thing that you have to to show uh, the other thing I'd say is um, access to I, I don't want to say um, proprietary because no deal flow is proprietary but <laughs> differentiated deal flow right so um, you can identify find um, source whatever you the, the word you want to use is you know amazing companies uh, before a lot of other investors um, you know unearth those opportunities and and then you know can you pick the right ones uh, you know so you see great you see a lot of stuff um, can you can you um, ascertain which ones of, of all these things that you see are the right ones to back? And then, you know, do you have a a unique way that you that you look at the world and and you look at you know companies and, and investing, um, but not too unique <laughs> <laughs> is the interesting thing, right? Um, it, it's it needs to be to be different and, and well thought out and make sense, but your models and things like that can't stray too far away from, you know, what they know works because yeah. um, LPs are not particularly institutional LPs. They're not big risk takers, right? We have to double click on that, Marlon, <laughs> not straying too far away. T- tell me about what, what might be straying too far away. Right? I would love to hear more about that. I, I don't know if I have a specific example for you, but, you know, there, there's certain things that are commonplace, right? So you talk about your, your fees, right? Two on, two on 20, um, yep. pretty much stick to that, right? Um, a 10-year investment period, um, initial investment period, they expect you to, or a fund life cycle, I should say, and, you know, uh, anywhere between three to five-year investment uh, period. Um, if you are, uh, you know, a sizable fund, you know, 40% at least for, um, to make follow on investments, um, you know, prioritizing ownership, um, over the number of companies that you're, that you're going to invest in. Um, like these are kind of like the staples of running a venture, a successful venture firm. Uh, and they don't want to see that <laughs> you be, you know, um, <laughs> too far away from that right because they don't know that these other things um can can work also you know they they want to see that you're investing in high growth companies right um there have been i think you know there's there was a fund in the news uh, i think today or yesterday you know that shut its doors because it was um uh taking a novel approach where you know it wasn't so much about um you know uh, their companies showing, you know, um, rapid growth and, you know, raising, um, additional capital in a, in a call it a timely fashion, um, to show paper markups and, and, and things like that. Um, you know, they were more focused on, you know, um, well-capitalized companies that were, um, you know, really focused on, uh, generating revenue and positive margins and, and building a, a healthy company, uh, but maybe not scaling as quickly as uh, traditional uh, venture invest uh, back companies, uh, the way that tr- traditional um, venture back companies scale. 
Um, so yeah, I mean, there are there are things that are known to have worked in the past, and uh, they don't they don't want to see those things or those table stakes um, be changed. With your time in venture, and especially since raising you know your first fund when you did that with cross culture, and as time has evolved, what have you seen in terms of differences between? the growth of some of these different markets, just in terms of you, you have the SF presence, the LA presence, you then I know you spent a month in Miami in 2017, kind of get the feel for the ecosystem there. How have you seen some of these different like, ecosystems evolve or change since you kind of got started in venture? Yeah, Miami's blowing up now, right? We were talking <laughs> about Miami, you know, years ago, four, four or five years ago now. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's it's. I think a lot of folks are, are kind of seeing what what we saw there early, and specifically what what we saw was that there was a, a super diverse population, and you know what was really attractive is that we know that the the U.S. and the world is getting more black and more brown, and um, the you know the best uh, entrepreneurs or the most fitting entrepreneurs to solve for challenges within black and brown communities. Or black and brown entrepreneurs and so um miami has that in spades and so that that's what <laughs> was, was super interesting um to us is just that you had this um this diverse uh population of entrepreneurs building solutions that were different from the ones that we we're seeing being built in silicon valley uh and so yeah um that's that's kind of how we think about you know new markets right um what is what is unique about you know this market, um, and what are some of the what are the types of companies that you know should be coming out of this out of this market, and then can we find great entrepreneurs, you know, in in those markets that that are building you know the, the solutions that we want to see, uh, you know, so we've invested in you know in in New Orleans, right? Yeah, One of our more successful companies, um, a company called Ready. Um, was was formed in, in, in New Orleans. Um, we have an investment in Baltimore. Um, we had an investment in um, Cincinnati, Ohio. That's now moved to LA, Miami, um, you know, Chicago, <laughs> uh, Houston, Texas, uh, you know, um, Seattle. Like we, Nairobi, Kenya, right? Um, it's <laughs> and it's just like look, um, talent. Um, is ubiquitous, right? Um, but access to capital and and opportunity is not. And so we want to provide that that access to that capital and the and that opportunity to the right founders, you know, building the right company in the right geo. With that, there's a there's a number of different investments. Obviously, you made a, a lot of investments over time here, but there's a few that I'm, I'm curious about because uh, one being Gilmet Media because I listened to the startup podcast like many other people. It was a fascinating story. How did you first get involved or hear about Gimlet Media? Um, we were at we were in New York um, for a, a day trip because uh, Troy was getting an award, I think, from Moet Hennessy for uh, his work in the community, and um, he was being interviewed by um, by Alex, one of the co-founders of uh, <laughs> Gimlet Media, and. Um, you know, and, and his co-founder uh, was in was in the audience, uh, you know, with with the rest of our team. 
and and we started talking <laughs> and you know they they really uh liked what the the, the concept um of what we're building as a venture firm and said you know, look we're um we're we're fundraising right now. well we're actually done fundraising but um we'd like to talk to you guys about this and yeah so we we all flew back to to la actually the next day and we had a, it was either later that day or um, the next day, we had a meeting with Alex and, and Matt and um, and started, you know, talking about it. At, and I'll be honest, at first I didn't, I didn't get it, right? I was like, oh, that's what I was going to ask about. Yeah. Yes. It's a content company, da, da, da. Um, Troy seemed to get it almost straight away. Um, it, it took me a little bit, a little bit longer. And then I, then I realized, um, and, and we got it, we got it in different ways. Um, I, I think, you know, I don't hate to speak for Troy, but I, I think his was more around, you know, the creator economy and looking at that. And my thing was this, this thing called podcasting could replace like traditional talk radio um, because of all the data uh, that would be, um, now accessible and and deliverable to you know the, the folks that are paying for the ads and uh we just saw a huge opportunity and you know alex's background you know coming from npr um and you know in the shows that he did there like, he's an amazing creator um and then and then matt was just a, a, a tremendous operator and so the 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 two together, you know, we thought if anyone's gonna gonna make this thing work, it's gonna be them. Um, and then they went on and, and hired very, you know, talented other talented people and, and produced some amazing shows. And um, ultimately, we introduced them to Spotify. Um, <clears throat> you know, Troy was uh, head of creator services there for a while, um, and you know they became like, big partners. And then ultimately, Spotify acquired them. With that deal, so with Gimlet Media, you're uncertain at first because this is a new thing. People to put yourselves in their shoes at the time um, is a much different situation than we are in now, obviously. At that time, when you had kind of trying to figure things out with investing in them and, you know, what is this coming going to be? Once you once it clicked for you that this could, you know, the talk radio thing, this is going to have data behind it, it's going to be interesting. What did you see as a potential exit, how big this could be with Gimlet at the time? I thought it was going to be huge, actually. Right? Um, I didn't expect them to to sell as early as they as early as they did, um, and you know, I I didn't um, I had no idea that you know Spotify would would move into kind of the podcasting realm, and you know, and others, iHeartRadio, et cetera, that are doing it now. Had no idea about that, so. Um, you know, I was thinking uh, this thing could be could be standalone. It could be the network, um, all you know, all onto itself. The distribution platform all onto itself, and you know, like could have been a public company. Um, yeah. is, is is how I was I was viewing it. Um, you know, but offers that you know folks can't re- can't refuse were made, and <laughs> and uh, <laughs> you know, Gimlet is now part of Spotify. Yeah, I mean, a couple hundred million is not terrible. So uh, obviously, it's not a multi-billion-dollar whatever exit. But to that point, obviously, it's life-changing for for many people to have the type of exit, and it's something that gets kind of maybe distorted, uh, especially today. 
yeah, I'd say pretty life changing for the for the founders, and um, you know they they did not raise much money at all, so mm-hmm. very healthy return for the investors. Yeah, absolutely. Another company I want to ask about, uh, I think it's fun to <laughs> talk about some of these decisions is uh, Zero Grocery. And I had had Zulega Strassner on this podcast earlier um, a while back, and I'd also had introduced her to a number of investors, one of which thankfully invested, but there are a lot of people that passed. What did you see in Zero Grocery? Yeah. So first of all, Z is an impressive human being. <laughs> um, so. Yes. So we gotta we gotta start with that, right? It's just like you meet her and 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 she is a force, right? Mm-hmm. It, um, she knows you know the space better than most people you'll you'll speak with. Um, you know, has a a, a very um, strong opinion on what it's going to take to to succeed and to um, and to be different um, and to compete and win. Um, you know, all of that comes out very like crystal clear. And then, um, and she's one of those charismatic founders as well that attracts top talent around her. Right. So, um, people want to work with her and, and go on this journey and build towards this mission. So that I started with that. Right. And then, um, kind of dug in and, and looked at the numbers and the numbers were unbelievable. Um, so, <laughs> yes. To the point where you know we had to you know take a deeper look. Like, is this real? Can this last? And, <laughs> uh, and and the answer was yes. And you know, and then to add to that, it it actually is a very good thing for the for the planet, which is you know everyone should be focused and concerned about you know the health of Earth um, right now, given given all that we've done to it. Um, yeah. So it it was those it was those things. Um, you know, I, I think I think Zero has the opportunity to be the number one online grocer and um, and delivery, you know, organization in the U.S. possibly beyond. Yeah, and for people who aren't familiar, then we didn't say it actually. Zero waste groceries, uh, quality goods, plastic free, and they just launched in L.A. recently, based on when this podcast uh, is released and it's being recorded, I should say. And yeah, she's a force. I'm curious with that. What were some of the questions or, or things you're you're wondering about when you're seeing something new being done with this uh, very charismatic founder? But what are some of the things you're you're asking about to get to the the core of like is this for real? Is she for real? Like I'm curious about that. Yeah. Um, so you know it's it's e-commerce, right? So you're you're actually looking at transactions, right? So how many transactions are are taking place? Um, you know, in in a month. And month over month, you know, how, how are those numbers of uh, transactions growing? Um, how many how many subscribers are on the are on the platform? How's that growing month over month, week over week? Um, you know, how many how many visitors um, do they do they get? So you know, how many people come to the the site and check out without without having a membership and then become a member? Um, you know, then there's um, average order value. Right. So how does that compare to, to some of the other competitors um, in, in the space? And one of the one of the really interesting things about interesting things about that is um, is that uh, she was very close to some of the leaders in the space in terms of average order value, um, but had a fraction of the skews. So that, <laughs> so that shows that, you know, they were 
carrying the right things, right? They were carrying the the products that that folks actually wanted to um, to buy, and you know maybe the the absence of um, too much choice was a is a good thing, right? So um, so we're looking at looking at all all those things, right? From a a, a metric standpoint, the other thing we wanted to see was um, because they're essentially changing the the workflow of you know how uh, groceries go from the food manufacturers and distributors to your you know to, to your refrigerator and your um you know in your pantry, uh, and so wanted to really understand the relationship that that she and the and the company had with those major food manufacturers and and distributors and and how how they viewed them was the the changes to the to the the call it workflow um disruptive to their business or you know was it something that you know they welcomed and you know actually makes their life easier um <laughs> did they did they have you know uh, a mandate within their companies to you know, do things that are um, are better for 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 the planet. Um, so yeah, we asked all these all these questions, and and everything came back. You know, um, like grade A, right? Um, so yeah. yeah, it was it was kind of a a very easy decision once once we dug in. Yeah, and and then with that as well, I mean, uh, obviously investing in diverse founders and a uh, variety of diverse. Inve- investments you've made already through through your different entities in the past and um zuleika is just yeah she's just killer i mean just from talking to her uh stellar and has had to go through a lot of things i know she was uh fundraising from charles hudson early on i want to say and she did 263 pitch meetings to get her first investment which is a lot obviously but uh she's shown that perseverance and the ability to grow from there which is incredible. I I know that you're involved in a lot of different things. One with what you're doing with obviously Mac Venture Capital, but I don't know what things you're currently with USC Marshall Venture Fund in the past, teaching uh, at Cornell. And life of a VC is tends to be pretty crazy with meetings and business. How do you manage your time day to day, week to week? Yeah. So uh, you know, um, I only I only um, participate. In extracurricular things, meaning things outside of the, the fund that mean a great deal to me, right? So, you know, um, teaching at, at Cornell and and that, you know, they, they did a lot of things to, to make that, you know, possible for me, right? Like, I'm only on, on campus uh, three times, um, you know, during the fall in order to teach that course. I have two teacher's assistants that, that work with me to, you know, help grade um grade the assignments and, and and things like that um but you know i i studied there right and um it was my first kind of exposure to, to to venture capital and you know there were some things that i felt were after i got out and started you know functioning in the in the real world um of, of <laughs> i realized there's some certain things that you know um were being taught from a academic perspective versus a, a this perspective of practitioner and so i just i created a course that you know um <laughs> that that changed that uh and so it's it's fun for me um but also you know that the students are out finding um investment opportunities uh and 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 presenting them so 
it's actually a form of deal sourcing um, for us as well. Um, we haven't um, invested in a, in a company that they've brought us so far, but um, we've, we've looked at at least a few of them, um, you know, uh, intently. Um, but yeah, it, it's about only spending your time, um, you know, with and on things that, that you're very passionate about. Um, and then, you know, limiting, limiting those things as, as, as well. But yeah, it's, it's, um, there are times when it gets really, really busy and, you know, I have to say no to, to many things. Um, you know, I don't want to. Yeah. So many opportunities to get involved in different ways. And there's always more pitches and more people coming, coming after you to potentially get an investment for, for you then looking forward, one, I'm curious about what you mentioned kind of cultural shifts and changes and things you're paying attention to. What are you excited about next? Anything right now you're very excited about in the future here? Yeah. So, I mean, we have another state of tech and, and culture report that's coming out. I don't want to um, steal the thunder <laughs> uh, from, from the report. So I won't, won't talk about that, but you know, um, a couple of the last reports that we, that we put out, one was the, the conscious consumer and, you know, really just looking at um, how <clears throat> uh, consumers were, you know, leveraging their, um, um, their presence and, um, and their, uh, and their pocketbooks to, to ensure that, you know, larger organizations were, you know, paying attention and acting accordingly um, on, you know, social issues that, that are important to them. And, you know, so, and so what are the white spaces there, right? So one is, well, how do you, as a, as a corporation, how do you understand um, consumer sentiment around, you know, uh, potentially hot button issues before they become hot button issues, right? So yeah. are there companies that, that, that can do that? Are there companies that, um, you know, have a, a, a huge portion of a certain demographic um, on their platform um, that are sharing, uh, you know, um, you know their views. Like <laughs> that would be a, a great company to um, to invest in just to get that um, that perspective ahead of time. Um, to another, the most recent report we did was um, uh, I think we called it the gaming takeover, which is about how you know different aspects of gaming were showing up. Um, across a multitude of um, industries and verticals, and that that would continue to 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 um, to grow. You're going to see gaming almost in every aspect of of our lives. And so, you know, what are the what are the opportunities there? Um, to exchanges, um, I've invested in two um, companies that are building either building new exchanges or or changing the way that existing exchanges work. Um, you know, one's a company called PureStream that, you know, was founded by, you know, the ex-head of sales and trading uh, at Goldman Sachs. And um, they're literally, <laughs> the product literally changes the way that um, uh, trades are being matched, right? And, and you know, huge idea, huge opportunity. You know, we were joined by... Uh, NASDAQ, Goldman Sachs, Bank of America, Bank of Montreal, Alliance, Bernstein, um, all as investors in this uh, in this early stage company because the idea is so huge. Um, and then, you know, Pipe is, is another one 
and they're focused on um, creating an exchange based on um, recurring contracts and and leveraging uh, the, the capital that you get by by putting your contracts on this exchange to grow your business. So it's an alternative to you know either raising venture dollars to to, to scale um, revenue or venture debt to to scale revenue. So again, another just huge idea around exchanges, uh, and I'm I'm re- super interested in um, owning platforms that are considering owning parts of um, you know sports leagues and players and and, and things like that as well. Uh, so the exchanges uh, I think are kind of a um, an extension of what we've seen as marketplaces, yeah. But for you know tangible and intangible um, things. What do you think that fractional ownership will will evolve into? Like, how are you think? How do you see that going? I, I talked to um, uh, a founder of Mythic Markets, and he you can fractional ownership in a number of different like, different items they have on there. That it's like old comic books and for thousands of dollars and different things with that. Where do you see that going? Or and I'm curious, like, how big of a market do you think that's going to be? I think it's going to be huge. Um, you know, particularly around. Um, music and and w- what we call the um, you know creator um, kind of industries, yeah. uh, where you know the um, the actual creators, the, the artists, if you would, want to own more of of these things that they that they bring to the world, and want to have more control over these things they they bring to the world. And if you open up um, you know ownership to the public, um, it removes a lot of the, uh, I guess, call it hurdles or demands, terms that, you know, you would have from a, you know, a, a record label or, or, or something like that, right? If you could, if you could finance your, your project without being signed to a record label and, and, um, and put it out, you know, independently, um, you know, th- by by leveraging this type of a thing, um, and then in you know employing some type of profit share with with those that that helped fund it, um, that yes. you know that makes sense for the artists and for um, you know the call it the retail buyer. Um, it, I, I just think it's it's huge. There's an amazing opportunity here, and you know things are shifting. Um, things are shifting. It's something we definitely need to pay attention to. I don't know how big it's going to be, but I, I, I'd argue fairly, fairly large. Yeah, it's interesting in terms of thinking about that as well as with how the accredited investor laws and how they're loosening up some things there, and especially around crowdfunding that changing March fifteenth with the moving to five million dollars from the, the cap they had right now of like one point oh seven million. That's something I'm working on a lot at, at Vitalize, like uh, looking at how we get more people to be investors into startups or at least have access to the asset class who aren't accredited or who um, are and trying to figure out how to get into that because I think there are going to be more people who want to own a part of that. And that's obviously a little bit different from you know a fractional ownership of a creator per se. But even once you look at that expanding, then it becomes this thing where more and more comfort is <laughs> around investing in these things and like whether it be startups or uh, creators or other things where people want some a share of that at a you know a smaller dollar amount. It's just going to be really interesting to see how that evolves, and that's something I'm paying attention to as well, um, a lot. And I'm I'm very curious to see how this shakes out in the next number of years, and as the SEC kind of loosens up some things more, hopefully, fingers crossed, trying to push them to do more. Uh, what happens in terms of the access that things 
have as well. And and just to kind of wrap things up here, just with your career and everything you've you've done to this point, where do you want your next 10, 20, 30 years to be spent on? Like what would you want that time to be spent on as you move forward here, Marlon? Yeah, I'm I'm focused on building a world-class venture firm that's gonna span decades and um and, and generations. That's that's where all my energy uh you know um my my daily uh thoughts everything um is really focused on that right now what does that look like from a um standpoint of just more and more funds larger funds are you going to stick in the seed you think you'll kind of eventually go to owning growth stage and everything on the whole kind of life cycle i'm just curious your thoughts there the honest answer is i don't know um i know what i what i do know is that you know, our team as, as currently um, constructed is, you know, um, tailor-made for investing in seed stage companies and helping those companies to grow. Yeah. Um, and so I, I can't imagine that we would in, uh, in the near term, at least um, stray away from that, you know, down the road, you know, who knows, we might meet an incredible growth stage investor and, you know, that become a part of our platform. But um, you know, for the next, you know, two or three funds, um, it's definitely going to be seed focused, um, you know, sticking with a, a very similar strategy to what we have today. I'm excited for you. I've followed along for a bit now, seen some of the investments, talked to a number of your companies, and uh, I think it's just going to be a lot of good things to, to come. And where can people go to, to learn more, to get in touch with you, startups they want to pitch you? What's the best way to go about that? Yeah, so for startups that want to pitch us, the, the best thing to do is go to our website, um, macventurecapital.com, and there's a contact um, link, and you can upload all your information there, and we promise we review everything that comes in and try to get back to, to everyone within 14 days as to whether you know we should set up a, a meeting to learn more or you know if this is you know not going to be a good fit for us. So that is the absolute best way for um, founders to get in front of our team. Um, if you want to, you know, uh, just kind of socially chat with me or keep up with the things that I'm thinking about, I'm on I'm on Twitter at Marlon C Nichols as well as um, Instagram, same uh, same handle. Marlon, thank you so much for the time today. Really appreciate it, man. This was fun. Yeah, thanks for having me. This was a, a really fun and um, interesting conversation. So thanks for making it cool. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Just Go Grind. If you want to follow along on the socials for all things Just Go Grind and with me as well, you can find Just Go Grind on Instagram and Twitter at Just Go Grind. You can find me on Twitter at JustinGordon212. Find me on Instagram, JustinGordon8. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great day.